Good morning and welcome to Grace Point Church on this first Sunday of the year 2021. Sounds like a long time, doesn't it? Uh, we are into the new year now in this first Sunday of the new year. And I've been doing just a quick uh, two-part series for the new year as we approach a new year. As I said last session, I don't think any of us are sorry to see 2020 go away, and yet uh, there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty in 2021. Uh, last time we looked at uh, Psalm, Psalm 103, just the first five verses and the five benefits that we as believers in Jesus Christ enjoy and have. And the challenge there, of course, is to rest in our position in the Lord Jesus Christ and it was a song, really the Psalms are a song, but we're going to go to the New Testament this session and back to the book of Colossians, the letter to the church at Colossae. If you take your copy of God's Word, turn to the letter to the Colossian church and we will look at uh, briefly at a few verses here just to remind us of our position in Christ as well as the riches we have. And also we're going to learn how to walk in the new year. Uh, we're going to learn how to walk. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for your grace and mercy and the fact that you love us and care for us each day. We thank you for this new year, and we do pray, Lord, uh, for uh, Grace Point Church, for each member, each person, and also our guests who are with us here today. Thank you uh, for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you for your word in our own language. Uh, what a privilege we enjoy in this country. And thank you, Lord, for our country, and we pray for our government, for our president and others, Lord, uh, that lead us in this. And Lord, we thank you that we as believers are called to pray for those in authority. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, your presence with us and for the fact that your Holy Spirit guides and teaches us through your word. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Well, if we were able today, we could go to Great Britain together. I'd love to do that and uh, go to the Royal Observatory at Greenwich, England. And uh, I was reading about it. I've never been there, but it's a very famous location because it's the location and the mark of the prime meridian, the prime meridian. It's remarkable in the sense that if we went there, we could put one foot in the northern hemisphere, eastern hemisphere, excuse me, and one foot in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, so we could take pictures, and it's really not really remarkable in the sense because it's just a big line in the pavement which shows us where the prime meridian is. It's not physically impressive, but we have to realize that uh, this demarcation is actually an invention of the human mind. Uh, prior to the International Meridian Conference in 1884, each local region kept its own time system and that if uh, continued, it would have rendered uh, impossible our current rela uh, relationships for trade and commerce. Uh, while the meridian is humanly derived, its relation to the stars is not. And the heavenly <clears throat> correspondence allows us to find our place on the map and in the world. Isn't that interesting? The prime meridian uh, primarily came through the hard work of a man named John Flamsteed. He was the first astronomer in the royal uh, household there who made it his life's mission to produce a proper navigational chart of the heavens. 
mapping the locations of thousands upon thousands of stars. And eventually, based upon his work, scientists were able to help people find their position on this planet and allowing them to answer that fundamental question of philosophy and physics and maybe even theology, the question, where am I? And of course, as we enter 2021, as we enter this new year, as we enter another year with great uncertainty, many unknowns, we can ask that question, where am I? And uh, what's going to happen? But the power of the Prime Meridian, as we would tour that facility, is that it is a fixed position through which all of our knowledge of time and place can be understood. That is a metaphor for the effect of God's word on our lives. God has given us his word, has given us his will. Uh, in these pages in scripture is our Prime Meridian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the fixed position, if you will, given by God himself through which we can understand who we are, where we are, and where we must go from here. So today just serves as a reminder that uh, in this book of God, this uh, love letter from God, that we can find who we are, where we're at, and where we go from here. And I just want to be, a, be reminded myself and to help remind you through the word of God about what he's doing. So if you're in the book of Colossians, find the book of Colossians in the New Testament. We recently, this past year, completed a series through this book. And I wanted to return uh, primarily to the theme of the book of Colossians. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme. It's all about Jesus Christ. The theme of Colossians is the emphasis on the deity, the holiness, the perfection, the power of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter uh, around 61, 62 AD, he was in prison in Rome. Uh, it's one of the prison epistles. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to these people in Colossae, which was some 1,000 miles to the east over in Asia Minor. But he begins his argument basically back in chapter 1, verse 15. And remember, uh, the books of the New Testament, they are presenting an argument. In other words, they are saying, here's what is true, and here's why we know it. And in verse 15 of chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, he writes, Speaking of Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And the Apostle Paul goes on in that passage, in that paragraph, these great declarations about who Jesus Christ is and his supremacy, his predominance in all things. But what I want to look at today is to go over to chapter 2, where he is concluding this portion of the argument of the letter of Colossians. If you have your copy of Scripture before you, uh, follow along as I read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then we will look in a little more detail at this passage. Chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all of those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, even though I am absent from the body. Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been fir uh, firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Of course, the Apostle Paul wrote in very long, complicated sentences, and you get a feel for that as you read verses 1 through 5, and then again in 6 through 7, these two paragraphs. But the command that we find in this portion, or the imperative verb, is found clear down in chapter, or verse 6, excuse me. As you have received Christ the Lord, and here's the command, so walk in him. Step by step, one foot in the eastern hemisphere, one foot in the northern, hem in the western hemisphere, and the prime meridian of scripture between us. And so the actual fact of walking, it sounds pretty boring, doesn't it? Just walking because for most of us, uh, you know, we learn to walk when we're very small. And we don't even think about it when we walk to, uh, to our house, when we walk uh, to our uh, automobiles. Wherever we walk, we just get up and, and go. And yet the Apostle Paul uses this as a metaphor for a lifestyle. It's a day-by-day, step-by-step thing. And he's going to talk about two things in this passage. He wants us to walk in knowledge in verses 1 through 5. Walking in knowledge. And then in 6 and 7, it's the application of this. It's walking in his grace. Walking in his grace. And so we come to this passage today. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know, I want you to know, the Apostle Paul, in his letters to the churches, emphasizes the importance of thinking, the importance of our memory, the importance of having the knowledge about Jesus Christ, who he was and what, and what he's doing. So the Apostle Paul petitions these Colossian believers to be enlightened about God's redemptive work in their lives. He's reminding them and he's pushing them in a sense. Just look at Jesus Christ, how supreme he is, how all-powerful is. And he moves naturally into the, the, the main emphasis of the exaltation and preeminence of Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying right thinking results in right attitudes, which result in right actions. Did you get that? Right thinking results in right attitudes, resulting in right actions. You know, as we said in our last session, the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. And so the importance of thinking, the importance of study, the importance of meditating upon God's word, upon the person and the character of Jesus Christ when we're in relationship to him. You know, just as children learn to walk, I've seen my grandchildren learn to walk from the time they're babies and toddlers is what we call them. You know, they're very unsteady to finally running and playing outdoors and being very adept at the skill of walking and doing that type of motion. Christians also have to learn how to walk. We suddenly, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you're suddenly not going to know how to walk just because you believe in Jesus Christ. It is a process called sanctification. A child who does not learn to exercise the fundamental skills of walking will continually fall down. 
And Christians who do not learn to walk spiritually, the walk of faith, will struggle as well. And that's the case, and we see that uh, in every church of the land, we see people who name the name of Christ but have a struggle in living out their Christian faith. It doesn't mean we're going to reach perfection in this life, but we are to be growing in the faith, just as a child should grow physically and in their skills as they grow up. With this tendency in mind, Paul admonishes these Colossian believers to remember and to continue walking by faith as they had started before. Remember the Apostle Paul had not visited Colossae yet. The church there was probably planted by Epaphras, who was their pastor, and in the Lycus River Valley there in Asia Minor. And so in verses 1 through 5, he wants us to walk in knowledge. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, Laodicea was a neighboring city, town near Colossae, and they probably received this letter also. But then he talks about what we're supposed to know here. In verse 1, he says, for I want you to know the struggle. And that's that, that word, we get our word agonize from it. Uh, to agonize on your behalf and for these other people in this other town. And so walking in knowledge, it means that we uh, have insight into God's ways and then we act upon them. Think about God's ways, have an attitude about your relationship with Jesus Christ and resulting in right actions. Insight into God's ways, that's why he gave us his word, is that we can know Christ fully. Christ is the mystery of God. Reveals, he reveals God the Father to human beings. For in him, in chapter 1, verse 26, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the apprehension of truth, but wisdom is its application to life. Remember that. Knowledge is the apprehension of truth, but wisdom is its application to life. Knowledge is prudent judgment, and wisdom is prudent action. Prudent judgment and prudent action. Both are found in Christ. Paul writes about that in Romans, uh, whose wisdom is foolishness to the world, but whose power of God, which is the believer receives, is righteousness, holiness, and redemption in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And so we see that we need to know some things here. In verse 1, the cost of your freedom, the cost of our freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a web of deception that awaits. Paul is warning these people that there are false teachers that are coming in, and there's a struggle for our faith, the struggle on our behalf. And to know the source of our freedom, not only know that the cost of our freedom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and others like the Apostle Paul, who taught us, who left writings for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in verses 2 through 4, uh, the Colossian believers were assaulted by false teaching. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and that attained all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this, verse 4, that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Just because an argument is persuasive does not mean it's true. And so unity with one another and in Christ is the encouragement of the heart, you know, the soul of our, of our being. We are knit together in love. 
not in divisiveness, but the false teachers seek to divide us. And so he's talking about know the cost of our freedom, know the source of our freedom. It's in Jesus Christ and defend that, how to avoid deception. We are encouraged in the unity of Christ, knit together in love and then understanding the truth. Knowledge and wisdom are in Christ alone. And so the, the, walking in this knowledge and in verses four and five, to stand firm, there's a sense in which we walk, but there's a sense in which we stand firm. Look at verse five. Even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Not pushed over, not depressed or distracted from the truth, anxious and all of those things, but that we would stand firm in our freedom, that we would not cave into persuasive arguments, know what error looks like. This is a military metaphor here and exhibit good discipline and stability. Uh, you know, form a united front. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the church in this new year. You know, when your life is not centered upon Christ, it becomes idolatrous. When your life is not centered on Christ, it becomes idolatrous. And there are a lot of things that catch our attention that derail us from focusing on what God is doing in our lives. P.T. Forsyth wrote uh, these words, unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. And that's what's happening in our culture in this day and age of technological advances where we are assaulted 24 seven with the news cycle, where we have social media assaulting us and all of these things. There are plenty of false teachers and deceivers out there. And so the apostle Paul, uh, in verses six and seven, not only talks about walking in knowledge, taking the step of knowing who Jesus Christ is and then knowing more about him as we grow in faith, but also walking in his grace, his unmerited favor. In verse six, the first part of verse six talks about our reception in Christ by his grace. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's that imperative verb. Our reception in Christ. We are exhorted to remember how we receive Jesus Christ. In John, uh, the great gospel book of John, in chapter 1, verse 12, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So we do not earn the right to become God's children. That right is given to us out of his grace, his unmerited favor. And that is how life in Christ begins, is by believing in him for everlasting life. John, of course, the whole gospel of John uh, talks about that, about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is uh, I don't know who's watching this session and this new year, uh, but my challenge is, is, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for everlasting life? Again, over a hundred times in the New Testament, uh, the word belief or the synonym of that word is uh, the requirement for everlasting life. John 3:16. for God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, the consequence is everlasting life. The condition to receive that is belief in Jesus Christ. So our reception of Christ in grace and then our responsibility to Christ by grace. Look at the first, uh, second part of six, 
uh, be, so walk in him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, as we receive Christ, believed in him for everlasting life, it was by grace through faith, wasn't it? And so this walk called the Christian life, called sanctification, being set apart unto holiness, uh, is an act of grace also, isn't it? It's not by our energy, our efforts of somehow conforming our flesh to be good people, but it is by grace that our responsibility is some. Uh, you know, to many people, that I, as I've said, that whole idea of physically walking is not very uninteresting. Uh, we would probably rather the Apostle Paul would write something like, mount up on wings of eagles or run with enthusiasm. But in this context, the Apostle Paul simply tells us to walk. It's a day-by-day -day lifestyle, a decision to follow Christ each day, to trust and obey, as that old song said. As the old evangelist used to talk about those steps of trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We are exhorted to continually walk in the sound teachings that brought us to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of being declared righteous in him, and the grace that continues to give us sanctification or being set apart unto holiness by grace and glorification is by grace. And so we think of those three tenses of salvation. Uh, when I believed in Jesus Christ at age 28, I was rescued. I was saved from the penalty of sin. And I look forward to someday when I see Jesus face to face after I leave this life, after God takes me, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. That's future tense. But right now, this part between my justification and my glorification is called sanctification. And that's living out the Christian life. And it is by grace as I am being saved from the very power of sin. And the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the faith you started with is the faith you grow with. There's a saying in Christianity that the thing that people get saved with is the thing that they keep returning to. So if it's simply an emotional response and a moment of tears, uh, that's what you'll keep going back to. But if it's the actual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that you were saved, then there are four participles. I know that you probably don't need a grammar lesson, but there are four participles in verse 7. And we need to look at those very briefly, Willie. These are our resources in Christ by grace. We have a reception of Christ by grace in verse 6, a responsibility to Christ by grace in verse, the second part of verse 6. And here in verse 7, our resources, we have resources in Christ by grace. First of all, look at verse 7. He says, now walk in him, walk in Christ, lifestyle of living in Christ, having been firmly rooted, having been firmly rooted. Uh, this is <clears throat> a horticultural metaphor, if you will, a metaphor from nature. It's a perfect passive uh, participle. I know you're just, you just wanted to know that, but what the idea between a perfect passive participle is that it has an abiding result. It has happened and it's abiding result. We are firmly rooted like a tree. We are born again, as we say. And uh, in our front yard, in my front yard at my house, years ago when we moved in there, we bought a tree, a pin oak tree actually, 
It's getting quite large now. But when we first planted it, it was just a spindly stick kind of thing, and we had to uh, root it down into the ground and water it and planted it, and then we tied ropes to it with stakes to hold it so the wind wouldn't blow it over and it would withstand the storms and the wind that came its way. But now, uh, because it's firmly rooted and its roots are deep, it can stand on its own. It doesn't need any of those uh, supports. I was reading about uh, the uh, large trees in Northern California. Uh, the sequoia trees are one of my favorites. You've probably visited uh, the sequoias and the redwoods uh, down in the central Northern California. And they tower more than 300 feet into the air. And the largest tree has a circumference as its base of 101 feet. Uh, botanists now know that some of the bigger sequoias are almost 4,000 years old. Can you imagine that? Uh, which means that by the time of Christ, they were already 100 feet tall. But even these giants wouldn't be able to stand against the storms of the mountains without strong root systems. Not only do their roots sink deep into the earth, into the soil, but what's interesting is they're intertwined with trees, their neighbor trees, and it forms this strong and, and uh, rooted uh, formation. Well, the, the parallel between well-rooted trees and well-rooted believers is obvious. For the Colossians, it was critical that they be rooted and built up in Christ, and that uh, because of grace, that they can know that they have this freedom in Christ and they were bonded together in love and unified. So uh, we are firmly rooted. Look at the next par uh, participle. Firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Built up in him. That's an architectural metaphor or a building metaphor. And it's a present passive participle. A present passive participle. And uh, it is talks about continuing action. This is ongoing in our lives. We are being built up like a building, being equipped. We are on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And when we have that foundation, the word of God, then we are being built up, being equipped for the work of ministry, for knowing Jesus Christ. The third participle is uh, found here built up in him and established in your faith, established in your faith just as you were instructed. And so we are increasingly finding stability in our faith, being established. This is a legal metaphor, and it's a, a continuing action again. It's that type of a participle. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, tells us that we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house with Christ as the great foundation stone. You know, recently, a number of years ago now, archaeologists in Jerusalem discovered five enormous stones that were part of the foundation for the temple in the first century. And the largest of those stones, they estimate, weighs some 750 tons. And an item in a Christian magazine states that the large stones provided the foundation for the construction scheme to prevent earthquake damage to the temple mount. Uh, that surely speaks of security, doesn't it? And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to grasp when he affirms that we are being built up in Christ. No matter what earthquake comes to our life, whether the earthquake is 
is, is physical problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, uh, pandemics, political problems, uh, sociological problems. Any earthquake that we may experience, we may go through and we are safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this shaky society in which we live, in great upheavals, this is the great assurance that you and I have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And so we are being rooted, firmly rooted. We are being built up. We are increasing in stability. We are being established. And the fourth uh, participle is that we are to be overflowing with gratitude. We are continually producing the fruit of thankfulness. As we talked last time, gratitude, you can't be thankful and cursing. You can't have a tongue that is gracious and thankful and have a tongue that curses either in the sense of being a complainer, of being one who criticizes other people. This is continuing action itself, and this is our, our decision on this. It's our decision, and it is a, like an artesian well. That's the picture here. It's a natural metaphor that when we have a heart of thankfulness, it actually just keeps bubbling over. It just keeps coming out. And so those marks are resources in Christ by grace. We are being built up. We are, being, we, are, we are firmly rooted. We are being built up. We are being established in our faith. And then we overflow with gratitude. And May 2021, this year, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what our circumstances and adversities, may we be a people who overflow with gratitude. Because God is good, God is gracious, God is great, and he knows exactly where we're going on, what we're doing, and what's going on. There was a uh, hymn that when I went to graduate school, when I went to seminary, uh, many of the classes, we'd sing a hymn right at the beginning of the class before the professor would start his session of instruction. And one of those that I was introduced to, I had not heard it before, that I remember anyway, before we went to Dallas, Texas. But it was written by Liddy Edmonds in the 19th century, and its title is, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. It's probably my favorite, one of my favorite hymns. Uh, but uh, it goes something like this, and you can begin your gratitude right now because I promise I won't sing it, so you can be thankful that I'm not going to try to sing this. But it is a great hymn, and I would encourage you to get online, go to YouTube, and you'll probably find a choir singing this song on YouTube, uh, or you may even have a recording of it. But my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed, I trust the ever-living Christ, his wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And of course it goes on through many other stanzas, but there are four truths that Liddy Edmonds expressed in this hymn, which I find very comforting. First of all, rest. There's this idea of rest or peace. My heart has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Not only rest, but security. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. The assurance and security of salvation. The third truth that is given to us is the idea of truth. 
where she says, My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God, salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. And then the fact that Jesus Christ took our place on the cross of Calvary. Uh, theologians call that the substitutionary atonement. He took my place and your place. And she writes in this hymn, My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he gave. Rest, security, truth, rescue, substitutionary atonement. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And might I add that he rose again, gaining victory over sin and death. And he sits at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest, our intercessor, and our advocate and as the God's Holy Spirit indwells each believer and leads us in the truth. And so in 2021, I trust that my faith, that your faith has found a resting place and that you can express it graciously and with great gratitude as we go through this year. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and this passage out of the letter to the Colossian church. Thank you that uh, we can know you. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that our hearts can be encouraged and we can be knit together in love with one another and that we can have understanding and the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And thank you that if all believers are firmly rooted and that you are building us up and establishing us and that as a result of that, we can be greatly gracious and have great gratitude. And we praise you for this new year. Thank you for your sustaining presence. And I pray for any who are watching this who do not know Jesus as Savior to open their eyes, their hearts, to even the basic truth of John 3.16. For it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace and have a great week.